You're listening to Run Hard, Mom Hard, presented by Treeline Journal and hosted by Nikki Parnell and Steph Moniker. We're here to listen and share stories of motherhood and life from the trails from mamas who run ultra marathons. We hope to be a resource and encouragement to all moms who continue to show up, run, and chase their dreams even after having kids. It's not easy, and we'll talk about all the hard and real parts that make up this crazy lifestyle. But we're also here to celebrate and inspire each other to keep finding their inner mom strength that allows us to show this sport new levels of grit and show our kids that so much is possible. Welcome to another episode of Run Hard, Mom Hard. This week, we have Megan DeHaan on the podcast, and we talk about her ranching life, how she got started running, what her first ever run was, and it is kind of like Ashley has stated about her, go big or go home. Um, And we talk a lot about her race directing Crazy Mountain 100 as well. It's a very interesting conversation. We have to have her back on the podcast to talk more because we're just so interested in her and she's so fun to talk to. But anyway, short intro, we're going to jump right into the podcast and enjoy. All right. I hope this is the right, uh, I hope third time's a charm. We've tried this three times now, I think. Um, yeah. But Megan, we're so excited to have you on today. Um, how are you doing? Great. <laughs> yeah, third time's a charm. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, uh, I'm Megan DeHaan, as you said. Um, I'm a mom of two boys and a wife of a cattle rancher which also makes me as well a cattle rancher. Um, we run Black Angus and do a ton of hay um, in Montana. And that takes up most of all of my life. <laughs> but on the side, I have an addiction to running. <laughs> so uh, that kind of took over a little more of my time because I eventually started a hundred mile trail race in the crazies, which is a whole nother story in itself. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to get to it. And I'm so excited. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I have a lot of hobbies and whatnot and just kind of live in the lifestyle of Montana outdoors woman, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, kind of just living the dream and chugging along. <laughs> so your, um, shoe rack is like equal parts, cowgirl boots and running shoes. <laughs> yes. I actually have more running shoes than I have cowboy boots. Cause I, <laughs> I don't love shoes. I've never loved shoes, but, uh, I have a lot of running shoes just cause you know, we got to have the spiked winter shoes. You've got to have the non-spiked winter shoes. You've got to have the treadmill shoes, the trail shoes, the non-trail shoes. <laughs> it takes up like a room in itself in a house. Usually I feel like there's, everyone's got a gear room of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. And then we, we, I mean, we even have a hunting room, but that's like locked with all of our hunting gear. Cause it's just, it's safer that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I always think it's funny when people say that running is a cheap sport. It's like, maybe when you like first get into it and you just have like one pair of shoes, but then like, especially trail running, I feel like you have so much gear and it's all like pretty expensive. So. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I think you can get away with it being a cheap sport, but you'll just be incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And then I don't know. There's, it, it is fun getting like new gear to go running in. So. Yeah. 
That's for sure. But okay, tell us how you got started running. Um, I was pregnant with my first son and I've always been athletic. Um, I played sports all through high school. I was a multi-sport athlete. Um, and I, you know, grew up, got married, um, ended up pregnant. And, uh, I was just like right before that. And during that, I just kind of like fell into this, like kind of missing piece of my life. I needed, I've always loved that sport aspect of life and training to do something and whatnot. So I was kind of lacking that. Um, I tried like co-ed softball and that was fun, but wasn't really competitive enough. Um, and, uh, so yeah, when I got pregnant, um, you know, it, like your last trimester, you have like not the ability to do basically nothing <laughs> and it really <laughs> took a toll on me. Um, and then I ended up with postpartum depression right after I gave birth. So then, um, in my maybe not coherent mind, I thought I'm going to sign up for a trail race. And I signed up for the Bridger Ridge Run, which is a almost 20 mile race here in Montana. And it goes across the bridge or the ridge line of the Bridgers. And it's super exposed, super technical, rocky, quite insane for someone to sign up. And that was my very first race ever. I had never ran a race before. Um, so I signed up for the lottery thinking like I'd never get in. And I got in and <laughs> they emailed like in the middle of the night. And I remember my husband must not have been able to sleep. And he got the email and it said, you got in. And he woke me up and he's like, Megan, you got in. And I was just like, oh, crap. <laughs> like now what? I actually have to start running. And like at that time, I mean, I could run, but it was like a mile or two. And I thought that that was insane and um, nothing fast, just, you know, soccer running or uh, that sort of thing. Um, so I started training for that. I had no idea what I was doing and I, I still like, I don't know how I even finished that race. Cause it was wild. I like my blood glucose got really low. Like I wasn't eating enough. Like I didn't know you had to eat. Like I had, I had a pack with like some brand I'm not going to repeat <laughs> of awful hydration products that was like sitting in my gut and making me want to puke. And so like, I had that, I had like some granola bars and like, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but like through that experience, I met so many awesome people and like everyone that came by me that saw that I was half dead, at least offered something out of their pack to help me up. And, um, I eventually made it to the finish line. And I remember I was still breastfeeding at the time. <laughs> so I grabbed my son and like started breastfeeding cause I was in so much pain <laughs> and, uh, I apologize to the kid because I'm all sweaty and I'm just like, oh my gosh. And my husband's just like shaking his head at me. Like, what have you done? And I was instantly addicted. Like I hated it. And it was, I was in so much pain that like, whatever that was just triggered something that like, I knew like this was just the beginning and uh, it kind of just went crazy from there. <laughs> what was the turnaround from like how long post baby were you like how long did you kind of quote train for this race from when you signed up till race day was it like a short period of time yes yeah, so I think my son was born in October and the race was in August so what is that 11 months or 10 months 10 yeah months. yeah but still especially for like going from no basically no running I said you know you could run a mile or whatever yeah. but no training at all to doing like a pretty technical trail race is yeah. very, impressive. Yeah. it was fun. <laughs> yeah. 
Did you know, like, right when you crossed the finish line and you were like breastfeeding your son that you were going to do it again? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was like, that really sucked. I really want to do it again. (laughs) I've, I've always had a weird, you know, sense of pain and suffering and maybe, maybe that just, uh, exposed it. I don't know. (laughs) I'm so curious about your like ranch style life. And I'm curious too, like running obviously has this kind of like community. And as you know, like from race director, you have a community. Is there kind of the same thing with ranching up there? Like, do you guys have that ranch community? Like, are there, do you and fellow ranchers all kind of like, I don't know, um, form a little bit of a community in that aspect too? Yeah, for sure. There's all sorts of, it's kind of small town. Yeah. If you want to say there's good and bad. Um, but I know that like one thing that really stands out to me with the ranching community is kind of like, if one of your neighbors is in a bind, like everyone always rallies to help. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, especially like branding season, usually during branding season, like everybody's helping each other with their own brandings and no one gets paid. It's just like a sense of like community. Like there's always beer, there's always barbecue (laughs) and there's always a pile of ropers and we all just kind of get together and spend the entire day doing whatever needs to get done. And you just kind of go from ranch to ranch for a few months and wow. it's just, it's a fun, fun thing to do. It's kind of like running in a way. <laughs> do your running friends overlap your ranching community or are they almost like two separate aspects of your life? Some of them do a lot. I mean, I tend to run with like one or two people these days. And I usually like, I, I used to go out with a, ton, a huge group of friends because just at that stage of life we were all in, it was just easier to get out together, you know, like seasons change and whatnot. And the last probably, I want to say five years or so, I've usually had like one to two people that I t- typically run with, but uh, they, uh, those people are always at our brandings too. Um, and then actually with this race, um, a lot of my ranching friends are forced to run some of my aid stations. So, because <laughs> they have livestock and we need to pack into some of them. So oh, it kind of overlaps. Voluntold. <laughs> <laughs> Can, or do you mind like sharing like how big your ranching operation is? Yeah. Uh, you don't have to get uh, like super specific, but just yeah, like, no, that's fine. I honestly wouldn't know how many cows we have at this point. We have a lot. Um, usually it ranges from anywhere from, I want to say five to 800, um, just any given year it changes seasonally. Um, and then we, I'm going to get this wrong, but I think we operate on around like 50,000 acres, but that's not owned. It's it's owned and mostly leased. So <clears throat> it's a lot of work. Uh, and I don't know how we do it with two people, but we have help. <laughs> uh, we borrow, uh, one of our hired guys, we borrow, um, with my husband's brother uses him full time. And then we just kind of trade him off and he helps us as well. Well, and I know you grew up in California, correct? And then yeah. you moved to Montana kind of for the lifestyle. Did you meet your husband in California or in Montana? <laughs> we met here. Okay. I, I'm laughing because we met at the testicle festival. <laughs> uh, it's just a festival once a year at the, um, ag, the ag fraternity and at the college here in Bozeman puts it on. And we met there. And when I uh, told my mom, I met a guy, she asked where the same thing. And I said, the testicle festival. And she thought it was a strip club. <laughs> I can see how <laughs> that would have been if you were still out in Southern California. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She had no idea. It was, it was pretty hilarious. I should have gone with that for a while. <laughs> right. It makes for like a really the, good wedding story. Right. <laughs> the Rocky mountain oysters. 
Yes. They're, they're not good. <laughs> no, they're not good. Although the ones we have are burnt and overly salted. So <laughs> that's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> Never again. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. One more with the ranching. Cause this intrigues me. Like, <laughs> And I kind of know a little bit just from coaching you and stuff, but like ranching is kind of seasonal where I'm sure there's certain times that are way busier than others. How does the ranching side of your life and the running side kind of work together or against each other? Do you feel like you have to plan your training around um, your work, your work around your training, or how do you kind of um, seam that all together? Yeah, it's definitely, I plan my training around my work and it's definitely seasonal. So like some in the summertime, obviously it gets lighter earlier. So that's usually when I'm up earlier. But in the summertime, we're also haying. So sometimes I'm up at 3 a.m. to go rake hay. And so that kind of means I'm not going to get the run in in the morning because, but then like by the end of the day, I'm exhausted. So it's like, um, I used to be more strict about getting it before everything, but like, since like the mornings are just so sporadic, um, I've just learned to just kind of wing it, to be honest. Like I just plan my day and, or I look at my day and what needs to get done. And I think, okay, what's the best window I have and how long do I need to run? And then, it, I mean, you've seen in my training logs, if you've noticed times, they're all over the place. Like sometimes I'll run at nine o'clock at night if I have to, but, um, summertime's usually when, um, I can usually get early morning runs in, but I've learned, I just, I don't love mornings as much as I used to because I live so far out of town and it's dark and there's no lights and like I'm still kind of scared of the dark a little bit especially out here running alone so um I just don't love getting out and for a run if it's pitch black the entire time so and like in the winter time right now it's warm at four or five o'clock so I would rather wait a little longer uh, to get like 20 or 30 degrees outside before I go because I don't have to wear as many layers right so, I mean, definitely, uh, run, I run depending on what needs to be done for the day. And some days are slow and I, I can run whenever, but, yeah. uh, it's usually not that way. <laughs> yeah. I, two things. I live out in the country, um, in Southern Minnesota and that's, it's pitch black out here and everyone has farm dogs, which I'm like, ter- I'm a dog mm-hmm. person and I'm still terrified of them, like coming out to, you know, see who's running past their house. Um, and it is, there's no lights at all. And we're on a main highway. And so there's a lot of truckers, but two, I love that you were able to like, give yourself grace for like not having to get the run in in the morning. Cause I feel like that's such a kind of a weight lifted off your shoulders to just be like, okay, I, I know I have to get these things in and you just work around what you, yeah. what you have. Yeah. I, then it's funny you noticed that too. Cause it's definitely, it definitely was that. Cause it's like, I know so many people that just like, they just get it in no matter what every morning. And I was like, well, good for you. Like, that's great. I wish I could, (laughs) but sometimes like I don't go to bed till again, 2am. So it's like, I'm not going to wake up at four or five. So, but we all have different schedules and stuff. So it all works out. Yeah, for sure. And I guess I don't, I mean, I'm happy for people who are able to get it done in the morning, but (laughs) I, I mean, it is nice to give yourself grace and to like show other moms and women out there that like, it's okay if it doesn't look like everyone else's. Can you hear them? I'm dealing with a dog in the background of mine right now. That's why I've been, my, I'm in my third spot to try to do this. <laughs> That's awesome. Can you go in the living room and make jumps? Go make jumps with the books. <laughs> yeah. With your grave digger. 
I think you should leave that in because it's yeah. like the perfect mom life like, <laughs> yeah. corrupted by our kids. Yeah, maybe I will. We'll see. I'm just, <laughs> anyway, yeah, being able to fit it in, you know, when you can, because I feel like I do a lot of like either really early morning or really late. And then if it's late, I go on my treadmill because it makes me nervous to run out here. Um, so it's, it is hard to, to fit it all in. And you have like a lot going on with ranching and all that stuff too. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Cause like, I know I'm scared to run by myself in the dark, but like my last race, I purposely put myself in that situation and had no pacers and ran through the dark alone. And I didn't get scared once. And it was just so empowering that I'm like, huh, maybe, I mean, I know it's in my head, but what, I wonder what the difference was. Cause like, I'm in a, in the middle of a mountain somewhere I've never been. And I wasn't scared. I even like saw a cute little Fox in my headlamp and I'm like, just more curious than scared. I don't know. It was wild. <laughs> you think it was because it was like for a race. So you knew there were people like ahead and behind you. Yeah. Like, it it could have been that. <laughs> um, true. Could have been that sim- yeah. simply because like out here, I don't know, like what kind of like where we live the two there's like people get out of town and come our way a lot and like that's when all the people are like doing drugs or doing stupid things that like they shouldn't be doing and then they end up on our roads that's why we all have guns <laughs> but it's just like maybe out there it's not I mean yeah maybe I just know that there's people I mean eventually someone will catch me type thing I don't know either way it was just fun to find out that I was capable of doing that and I actually liked it so yeah, and really powerful. Well, and I feel like with Montana, you and like so you deal with you have your busy ranching job, but you also have just the elements, you know, to deal with when it comes to your training. Cause as we know, like crazy winter temperatures. We couldn't film our podcast last week because of the power going out. Yeah. And you have the animals. So it's like it's it's an interesting juggling act just between all of that as well, because you might have this tie, but then suddenly you have this winter storm or I know some of those areas you guys worry about bears and like, how much does that play a role in your training? And I know you just got an amazing treadmill. So that's like your new (laughs) best friend, but um, talk a little bit about just like Montana in general and how that is with your training. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we have all of the seasons. Um, I don't, I call it like mud is spring, summer is hot. And then like, then there's winter. (laughs) So maybe not four seasons, but um, definitely plays a role in it. Like this winter has been super mild. So we haven't like, we've been, I've been running on these trails. I actually still can. And they, they might melt out enough to like extend it even longer, um, re- like soon, but, uh, you definitely have to plan for, you know, lower elevation runs. You don't get as much, uh, elevation that you would like to get. If, if you're training for something in the spring, like you're just kind of, you're stuck running roads or repeats on like the only bare piece of mountain that you can find or, um, and then there's definitely, uh, remote. I, I tend to run remote areas and like mix up the trails a lot. And I usually have someone with me, especially for the long runs, but if I don't like you're, you're carrying bear spray, or I, I carry a little gun with me sometimes just in case, especially if I'm by myself. Um, but, uh, there's, there's grizz in some parts of the area, but we kind of know like where the grizz are. So I know which trails that I need to carry bear spray and not, and I don't carry bear spray for black bears just because I've been around them long enough. I'm not too worried, but there's definitely wildlife. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I think grizzlies are a whole other element yeah. to deal with. Like I've only, ever, 
only ever ran into one. I never saw it, but I heard it. And then we were in like some really dense bushes where we, there was a heavy concentration of grizz and it was not fun, but, uh, we were fine. Like it ran away, but it was just enough to like, get your heart pounding. Like, okay, that's the one animal that that, and like a mama moose that are, yeah. that's the two I'd probably be worried about the most. Yeah. <laughs> what did, okay. I would be terrified of a grizzly and a moose, but I want to know like what you did. Did you oh, like, you just- you just make noise. Um, we, I, when we're running in Grizz country, I always try to make sure I'm with a group of people. I, I don't think I've maybe only done it a half a dozen times where I ran by myself, but I'll usually run in a group. So then naturally you'll have more noise. Cause the worst thing you could do is run up on a, on a Grizz and, and surprise it. I mean, they're not going to like attack you for no reason. It's usually because you've either surprised them or you came close to their food source. And if they have like a kill somewhere and you just, ha- it happens to be on the trail. If you surprise them that way, they're probably going to attack you. So <laughs> okay. um, running groups, um, I always have a dog with me. And unfortunately that's also a safety thing. Like my dog will probably see the grizz first or like scare it first. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's just part of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And bear spray. <laughs> yeah. We, um, we have to get some bear spray cause we're going to some national parks this year, but I always, um, I run with my dog a lot and I think that's such a, she's a very good hunter. So I'm like, yeah. I feel like very protected with her, yeah. but, um, yeah, that is a good, a good thing that you have the dog and, and bear spray and your gun and stuff. Um, I wanted to talk to you. Do you have any more questions on like this topic? Me? Actually? No, I wanted to talk to you about your hunting a little bit because I saw that you like process all your own stuff. And I think that is so cool that you just do everything yourself. So can you just like talk a little bit about like how you got into that and like how you involve your kids and like the safety and all of that stuff? Yeah. Um, my husband taught me how to bow hunt when we were dating. Um, Mm -hmm. I always wanted to hunt, but when I grew up in California, it was frowned upon. So one thing I was upset with my granddad about is that he wouldn't let me go hunting with him and he wouldn't let me shoot with him. So when I was old enough to buy a shotgun, I bought my first shotgun and started going clay pigeon shoot hunting is what I called it or hunting in quotation marks. Um, but, uh, when I moved here, um, I worked for my husband's uh, brother, like periodically on the side to earn, uh, enough to buy my first bow. And so he bought the bow for me. Um, and then as payment for me working like a few hours a week or whatever. And, uh, then my husband started taking me hunting. And so I kind of, I really fell in love with that more. Obviously we weren't married and I didn't have kids yet. So like, I really got into hunting that, that way. And it was just kind of a being in the mountains and learning the animals and kind of like being more connected to nature. And I, that's, I think where my running kind of took off from the hunting aspect of it. Cause I just figured out that I loved being in the outdoors. Um, and it kind of, you know, took off from there. I, you know, every year I'd try to bow hunt and kill, uh, with my bow instead of a rifle. It's a little harder. Um, it's more technical. You have to, you know, study the animals closer and, I would join bow leagues and do archery competitions that way. And it was just a lot of fun. Um, and we used to run hounds and we used to lion hunt that way. So we had uh, trained red bone hounds and, um, that was an absolute blast as well. However, I found out I don't like the taste of mountain lion at all. 
<laughs> it is not good. So I've, you know, I've killed some mountain lions, but like, I just couldn't get myself to eat it after trying it. And so we would have a friend that loved mountain lion meat. So we'd always give him the meat. But eventually as I got older, I just kind of, I say I grew soft and I got older and I thought like, I don't really want to kill anything if I'm not going to be utilizing it myself. Um, so kind of morally, I kind of grew up a little bit and I'm still like, each, everyone has their own moral reasons for hunting and, you know, or just for getting food to provide for their family. And that's totally on them. Like I'm not, uh, preaching to the choir here. I'm just saying for me personally, I just kind of grew up and thought like, I don't really want to shoot any more lions just cause I, I really don't like to eat them. So, um, I haven't shot a lion in a long time, but we also don't have, um, the hounds. So that kind of grew. Um, I obviously still rifle hunt as well. Um, but once you shoot an animal, like usually you just take it to the butcher and they take care of it and process it. And that's great. Um, but I've always, I always wanted to kind of figure out that process myself as well. Um, just cause like we also raise beef and like, I don't butcher beef. Cause that's like, you need a tractor to just lift the stinking thing up. Cause they're so heavy. Um, but with like an elk or anything smaller, it's, it's doable. And, uh, we, we still like have a tractor to do that and hang them and whatever. So like I tried finding people to teach me here and there, but no one really, it just never clicked time-wise and whatnot. So eventually I just started, um, Anytime we shot something, I would just go and debone it myself and it would take forever and I'd make horrible cuts and I would just burger everything. Cause like there was nothing left to state cause I was so bad at cutting it up. <laughs> but like after time, after a while, you kind of get a good feel for it. Um, I still don't do a lot of like steaks or anything just cause it takes more time. And, um, I'll keep like the back straps and the tenderloins cause those are by far the best cuts and I'll keep those whole for steaks and whatnot. But, uh, I just love the process of harvesting the animal, letting it hang for a little bit, taking care of the meat, boning it all out. My kids love to join. They are even worse at it than I was when I first started. There's like hair getting and everything. And like, I'm terrified they're going to cut their hand off, but it's like, I don't know, it's part of it. You just kind of learn as you go. Um, and then uh, I eventually invested in a meat grinder, which is a huge deal. Cause you need the grinder to like make your own burger. Cause before I've taken it to the butcher and have them grind it up for me. But you know, over time I got my own grinder and I don't know, it's fun. Like now I have a patty press. So like my kids and I get an assembly line and we use the fat from our cows. Um, and we add that to the elk or it's usually elk. I don't love deer. So, uh, we turned we send deer to the, to the sausage guy and he makes sausages out of it. So I don't taste the deer. Um, but I do burger the elk and, uh, my husband shot a moose last year or the year before. And that was like some of the best meat ever. But again, it's just, it's nice to be able to do it all yourself and, and, you know, include the kids, the kids get to see all that. And, you know, every time we cook up a burger, we know like which kid hunted it or, if dad shot the moose and it's just fun. Like we all kind of giggle and be like, thanks for dinner, Kason. Or, and <laughs> it's just really fun. Yeah. I just think it's, I think it's good to like teach your kids like where they're, I mean, they know, cause they're also like ranchers, but like in general, like where their food comes from. And, and we've had, we don't, uh, my husband and I went bow hunting a couple of times. He didn't grow up hunting. My dad hunted a lot. Um, 
and we'll talk to our, and we used to have calves, but we'll talk to our kids about like where their food comes from, or if they're having like a burger, like it's actually, it's from a cow or it's bacon is from a pig. And like, you know, they, so they know, and they can make informed choices. Like if they are not wanting to eat meat because they don't want to eat an animal, that's up to them. But like, they should, I am happy that like, we're teaching our kids that. And so I think it's awesome that you're teaching your kids to be like self-sufficient and that they can like go out and get their own food. I think that's really, really cool. Yeah. And it completely connects them to nature and the whole process and gives you a healthy respect for the animals. Like, I think it's easy to go to the grocery store and buy a steak, but like without actually thinking about like the entire process that went into that and the sacrifice of the animal it died so you can eat it. Like people would argue like, oh, we don't have to live this way anymore because we are so sustainable without the animals. And it's like, well, meat is still a really great source of protein and, and, uh, health and whatever. So it's just, it's, it's fun to be able to show them that firsthand. Cause again, I grew up in another state and I'm very far removed from this lifestyle there. (laughs) Yeah. So Megan, you ranch, you hunt, you're a mom. And then recently in the last couple of years, you took on race directing and I have a couple of questions on that one. I know we chatted like right when you were first thinking about it, cause you were just bouncing some ideas off me, but I'm just curious, like one, what inspired you to add that to your plate and kind of a little bit more of how do you juggle? How do you keep all these balls in the air between all the different things you're involved in? Cause you're, you know, you're hands on with each of these different elements of your life. And so, um, just give us a little bit of background into crazy mountain and how you fit that into the rest of your schedule. Um, fit in is an interesting idea. (laughs) Um, I just, I've always, I mean, I've been running since 2003, if I get the new year, right. Um, and I just kind of, you know, through the years developed a passion for ultra running. Um, and then it wasn't very long ago that I ran my first hundred and it was all just kind of, uh, me getting into that community of people and me seeing other athletes. I paced and crewed a bunch of athletes in their hundred milers and always thought like that was for them to do. Like, I would never be that crazy or stupid to like run that far. It can't be healthy for your knees. Um, and then I didn't, I had no idea that I was going to become so heavily involved in that as well. Um, but like, I just kind of fell in love to the whole, all of it, like the people, the community, the, the whole vibe you get at a mountain hundred, just like everyone's there to like do the same thing and no one has to explain themselves. And we're all just, you can see the joy in everyone's soul kind of radiate through them. Um, so Montana doesn't have a hundred or we didn't. Um, and I always, I had always thought like, why the heck do we have to go to all all these other States? Like when we have the most prime running here, like, and here we are just like leaving to go to like, I'm biased, but like less cool places. (laughs) Like, well, why don't we have a hundred here? And there's so many athletes in Montana that like no one knows about because they're just Montanans. Like it's just a different vibe, I think. And I'm sure it's same in other States. Like the people that are so good at running just kind of keep to themselves. And they're like the guys in the backyard running up these crazy mountains and they have no idea how good they are. Um, so I just started 
thinking about where I would put a hundred on and thought like, I'm not going to actually do this because I don't have time. Um, but then I just kept itching and knocking on the door and I was talking to friends about it. Um, and it just kind of, I started asking questions and it just kind of spiraled from there again. <laughs> and, um, it took me, I think a year and a half, two years to kind of get everything going. Um, but eventually I was able to put together a uh, hundred miles in the crazies. And at first I like thought, I mean, it was taking up hours of my days, random days, or sometimes all days staring at maps and whatnot. And I thought, once I get this going, then it's really not going to take that much time because it'll all be going. And then I could just dedicate like a few weeks of a year of the year to just kind of like do the thing. But I didn't, I was pretty naive to that. <laughs> um, it takes up like a lot of my time. It's always on in the back of my mind. And I should have known better just because when I do things, like I want to do them well. And I just, if I'm passionate about something, like I'm always thinking about ways to make it better or unique. And I've always been kind of like that. And I just should have, my husband knew, but I just hadn't kind of known yet. And uh, so, yeah, what I thought would take like a month out of the, of the year takes every month out of the year. <laughs> I try to turn it off, like right after the race is over, I just kind of collapse because I'm exhausted. And I just stick my head in work and, and get finished with the haying season until I kind of revisit it. So, um, but when you say, how do you fit it in? Oh gosh, I don't know. Like my swat, the swather, the piece of equipment that cuts the hay has auto steer, which is great because then I can just be on my phone, <laughs> and, like answer emails and <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't tell my husband. <laughs> I feel like we've zoomed with you in a tractor before, like yes. at least on the phone or like yep. a FaceTime while tractor you're for a Zoom. Yep. Yep. I've done a podcast and then in my tractor feeding cows. <laughs> Did you do you have to turn it around yourself? Yes. Okay. Yeah. We had a farmer you press a button. You, so you sure. get it lined up and then you go blue, 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 and it catches the track and then it just goes. And I my our father goes like 13 miles an hour, which is dang fast for this one, which is great because yeah. it just goes that much faster, but every like, it depends on how big the, the field is, Yeah, but uh, yeah, you definitely have to like, once you get towards the end, you got to slow down and turn around and then click the button again. <laughs> yeah. Cause we had a farmer go into a ditch, like a huge tractor with the, what did he with have? <laughs> no, it he was like cultivating, I think. Oh. But they had to have like a massive tow truck or two tow trucks come out to pull this thing out. It was not it's, good. <laughs> it's bad if you fall asleep with auto steer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like semi paying attention. You can yeah, be yeah. for a little no, bit. No, and I I really am paying attention because you can't just like click the button and not look because I you still have to like adjust the header as you go if there's like a gopher hole or a rock or something. It's but uh funny yeah or sometimes if you're not paying attention all of a sudden it's like you're skipping like a foot section and that's then you gotta back up and hope no one saw <laughs> so um okay can you just maybe like list out a couple of things that maybe the average runner doesn't know about what a race director has to accomplish like throughout the year yeah I, so I actually think this is a great idea for like an entire podcast is you get like 10 race directors and then they just tell everyone all of the dirty secrets. 
Um, I have to, I'm sure other races are different, but my race is small enough. And I just, I just like to be in charge of it, I guess. Cause it's kind of like my baby. I do everything. Like I organize everything. I'm, I'm filtering emails from people constantly about, um, just kind of like rules and questions and special requests. I get that all the time. Um, and I don't think people understand how much time that takes just cause it's, I mean, I have 200 people in my race, but I have like another 300 people who have questions about my race. And then I have the other 200 that also have questions and it's throughout the year. Like it's not even seasonal. It's, um, just, it's just constant information. So like, if I could have like a person to field those questions, that would be amazing. But like, you try to put all the information on the website, but it seems like not everyone reads the website <laughs> or, yeah. or surprise, like, surprise. No, I read that, but maybe I can have an exception. <laughs> so, um, I've learned to just kind of make it black and white because I want it to be fair for everyone. So like what's on the website is what's on the website. And there's just, there's a line and I'm not going to cross it. Um, I don't think a lot of people kind of understand that. Um, that's kind of one of my, one of my big things is just kind of like the questions about the race, the rules about the race, like that stuff. It's like a full-time job, just navigating. And then there's the, just like the trail coordinating. Like I am in charge of all of it. Like I said, so like, I have to go out there and physically make sure the trail is clear. Um, the first year I went over the course twice. I went over at least 200 miles myself with my backpack and my little chainsaw. And I cleared 90% of the course. I had friends help with a couple sections. My one friend Boz went out to one section that I couldn't get to like a week before the race, the first year he was out at like 3 AM. And I, I think I was out on a different section and he was like messaging me. We had our in reaches and he's like, yep, I made it to the lake. Um, I'm just going to stop and have a cigar. I cut down like 20 trees and I'm going to turn around and head back soon. And I'm like, it's like 3 AM. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> but that's just buzz. <laughs> he's one of my like most trusted go do whatever I ask person. Um, he also helps race direct, or he is like the head race director for the Ridge run, which I also help race direct. But, um, yeah, I think the trail clearing part in itself is fun because I did the first year have a couple people complain that they didn't, we didn't get all the trees cut. <laughs> and I'm like, well, maybe you should come help because <laughs> I cut about 300 of them. <laughs> and if you don't like it, you can, you can put your leg up and down and just walk right, right over it. Yeah. <laughs> You're running a trail race. <laughs> yeah. uh, super hard and left. Yeah. Hundred of those trees. <laughs> I would hate for you have to step over one. <laughs> uh, funny. Um, and I think just like the coordinating, I mean, we have, 10 to 20 volunteers at each aid station. I don't have a volunteer coordinator. So like I'm shuffling all those emails and trying to get people sorted and like trained and knowing where to go and like make sure they have enough stuff. And then I'm also kind of like winging it at the same time, because especially my first year, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I have experienced some other races and like helping, but this is on me. And it was super, uh, intimidating to say the least to just be in charge suddenly of all these people. 
Um, so yeah, I think there's a, there's a ton that goes into that stuff that people don't realize. Um, and I think if they did, they, there would be a little less complaints. <laughs> Not that I get a lot. I would say there's like 95% wonderful, positive, uh, you know, people out there talking about the race. So that's always good. Your course is so, I mean, it's, I haven't been on it, but I know it's, it's epic. It's rugged. It's not like you took on a tame first hundred. It's kind of like how your first trail race, you go and take on, you know, the Ridge. How, what made you decide to make the crazies your like jump in race to do? Because I'm sure there was probably a lot easier terrain you could have um, chosen. And is it just, you go big or go home? <laughs> There's a lot of that. Um, I just love backcountry and I love vert. I really wanted to find 30,000 feet of gain. That was my number one goal. I was like, I want it to rival Hard Rock's vertical gain um, because I went to Hard Rock and that's another story, but it changed the trajectory of kind of my, not my life, but like it kind of lit a fire in me at the time I, that I was at that point in my life. Um, I just fell in love with big mountains um, that year. And, um, I paced a friend at that race and it was just like mind blowingly epic. And I wanted to bring that to Montana. I want that experience. And so like, I wanted the backcountry vibe. I wanted the big mountains. I wanted the epic scenery. I wanted all of it in a race. Um, and so that's definitely what I was looking for. Um, but as it proved, it's like, you can't just like go to a range and say, I want to run a race there. There's all sorts of like hoops and, and whatnot to go through, but it's definitely like, and it's also, what would I run? Um, I wouldn't want to put this race on if like, it didn't interest me myself. Like I want to run my race, which sucks. Cause I can't, <laughs> but that is a goal of mine is like, once it's stable enough, I'm going to make one of my friends be me for the, for the day. And I'm just going to go run it myself. <laughs> How many people would you say overall, like when it comes down to at the end, how many volunteers do you have? Are you gathering them from your running group, your ranching group, like reaching far and wide? Uh, I I ask every group of people I know. <laughs> I have um, running friends, obviously, like more than anything. Um, I have people that help with the other race that I'm a part of. I kind of like make them come help me for my race. Um, and then I have our cattle ranching friends that uh, they run. Well, specifically, I have a bunch of my friends that are all cattle ranchers or in the ag world that run Honey Trail Aid Station um, because you have to pack into that. Um, you can drive like side by sides. My kids drove their dirt bikes up there last year. They had a blast. Um, but <laughs> Um, and then one of our other aid stations is pack in as well. And so it requires livestock, but those actually that's ran by a bunch of runners who also have uh, horses. So, or at least some of them have horses, but all the other aid stations are like completely diverse, um, people in my life. Like one is a, a guy that used to be like the assistant pastor to a church here in town. He started like an outdoor men's kind of like group that they do like fishing trips and hunting trips and like just do outdoor activities. And like, it's kind of like a community of dudes. So they run um, Crandall Aid Station and they just had a blast. They started it last year. Um, and then we've got like the Bozeman Run Club. They run Sunlight Aid Station. 
and I don't run with their club or anything, but they're just like a staple in our community. Um, and a gal named Kyla started that she works for John G and like, it just kind of like goes everywhere. I even had, I'm friends with Conrad Inker and he helped run the first station or the second aid station the first year. Um, and his wife, uh, made like the most famous blueberry pancakes for all the runners. That was absolutely hilarious. Cause like after the race, the guy came up to me and he was talking to another person. He's like, so what was like your best part of the race? And he's like, well, it was when Conrad Anchor handed me a blueberry pancake. <laughs> he's like, I just, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> like you just ran 20 miles. And like, that's the only thing you can think of. <laughs> they must have been really good pancakes. They were great, great pancakes. <laughs> I told Conrad that at the Ridge Run a couple weeks later, and he just about died laughing. <laughs> and one one of his kids were like, "Why would <laughs> like what?" <laughs> it's just that stuff just oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then uh, the last aid station is around by one of my best friends, uh, Kelly, and she lives in Colorado, and she actually drives up here every year and spends the entire week with her son cash and they just help with whatever I need help with. Like they're, they camp out with me. They feed whoever is in our little moving camp all week long. And then they run the aid station there, which is a uh, guest. It's a hunting lodge on uh, the second to last private property. And she's become really good friends with the, the guy who runs the lodge. And it's just, I don't know, it's just turned into this just like huge community of just randomly random strangers that like all became really good friends and like we're from all walks of life and uh everyone just has a blast (laughs) I love it I feel like you're building a whole community like taking a bunch of different communities and building a new community just with putting on this race and um and I know you you sell out you the race feels like very quickly now um so that's awesome good job yeah yeah, it's it's wild. Every year I'm, I get nervous, like, okay, what if it takes longer this year? What does that mean? And <laughs> but yeah, I want to come run it. I know. Doesn't it make you gotta? I want to taste those pancakes. Yeah. Right? Well, and I was like, I was looking at your website, and I'm like, oh, the, the it looks so gorgeous. Like the pictures are just absolutely stunning. So good job on getting the good views. Oh gosh, and we had. um Sarah and Anastasia, I hired, I had them hired last year to take the photos and they did such an amazing job that like, I told them, I was like, you're booked every last weekend of July. Like, I don't know what you think you're doing, <laughs> but you're in Montana. Yeah, <laughs> they did that. such a great job. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask because I saw that you were a Western States qualifier. Mm, yeah. Okay. How hard is it to be a Western States qualifier? And could you be like a hard rock qualifier or like, what's your, I don't know what the process is for that or like how hard it is. Yeah. Uh, Western States. I think I just kind of got lucky with that. Um, one of my friends is good friends with them. She didn't like pull any strings or anything, but like, she kind of helped me figure out like what, you know, what their requirements were. And then I started talking to the race director and just asked him and what they do is they just have like certain criteria that the race has to um, have. So like, I I believe it's difficulty. Um, Finish rate is one of those, like how many people finish the race? Um, Not not so much rate, but like 
quantity of finishers, um, difficulty of the race, and then distance. So I believe that there was a 50 miler that was a qualifier. I don't know if that's changed or not. Um, it's usually hundred milers and hundred Ks and then maybe some fifties. Um, but yeah, I just, I emailed them and told them, you know, I have this race and I'm looking to become a hard rock and a Western qualifier. So like, what are the steps that I need to take? And he said, they said like, I had to be a certain amount of years old. Um, like they need, or maybe I can't remember if they were the ones that told me that or hard rock. Um, but I basically had to like prove that the race was a thing. Um, so a year old race wasn't going to really, we don't know, we don't have enough data from that. Um, but the finisher numbers were a bigger thing. And they told me they wanted a certain amount of finishers for the race to be considered. So I had to kind of explain that this race was never going to be huge because I have permitting issues and I don't want that many people in the range just because of environmental issues. Um, so they gave me a little bit of a leeway there and they said I needed a hundred finishers um, before they'd qualify me. So I was able to get uh, the numbers up to 200 last year for my entrance for the, with the forest service. And then I told everyone, half of you have to finish. <laughs> uh, Cause it was like a 53% finish rate the first year. And that was terrifying. So I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to hit it. Cause like it was pouring down rain in the beginning of the race this last year. And it was just like, it was violent weather. Um, but we ended up with like 120 something finishers. So like not even at like a week after the race, I emailed them and I said, we did it. We made over a hundred. What do I do now? Like, I'm, this is my official request. And they said, yeah, you're going to, you'll get in, you'll get the qualifier. So I was pretty stoked on that. Um, Hard Rock is another story. <laughs> they are much more strict um, and not necessarily the strict part, but they just don't allow, they just don't add races because there's so many races that are, are qualifiers. There's not that many, but they don't need more entrance. And so they don't feel the need to have a plethora of qualifiers because that's only going to exasperate the lottery system. So like, I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head how many enter the lottery, but let's say there's 5,000. If they added 30 races, that's only going to make that even more. And so that just kind of lessens the chance of people entering, get in, I guess, or I suppose. Um, I don't, I don't know too much about their system on that regard, other than it's a, I don't know. <laughs> um, I've applied. Um, they know that my race exists. I, I've spoken with them. I'm actually number six now on the wait list to get in this year, as Ashley knows. <laughs> so yeah. like, I've canceled everything and I'm just like, I'm just going to train like I'm in regardless if I get in or not. Um, but the gal that was number one on the wait list got in. And so I'll pace her if I don't get in myself. Um, but yeah, so it's just, I don't, if they feel like adding a race, then they might consider me is basically what I've gotten at this point. Um, so we'll see, but my race checks off every single box, um, according to their list of qualifying criteria, I've literally hit every single box that they've asked and then some, so hopefully, hopefully they'll add the race in the future. Cause I would like, I would like to Montana to have something so people don't have to travel out of state just to get the qualifier and purely, I don't need, I don't need the qualifying status to help the race. The race already sells out. It's right. not, it's not it at all. I just want to be a race that people can come to. So they don't have to go to 
Idaho or Colorado or anywhere just to get their qualifier. So it's just, I want it for the the community of people here. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We should have, we should have you back on and just talk about race directing in general, maybe with like a couple (laughs) other female race directors, because that would be really fun to do as a podcast. I would want it to have like a list and everyone like shares the quote, like dumbest question they've ever gotten because (laughs) I work customer service and I have lost faith in humanity from some of the messages that I feel. I can only imagine Megan, what you might encounter based on the little um, sample size that I have with my job too. So I think I'm going to share that. (laughs) I have lost faith faith in humanity several times, but Luckily, most of it is really great. Uh, it's just the few that I'm just, they get sent to other people. <laughs> like, I don't have the time to do this one right, right? now. I, should I, I've, I've had a, my friend Trevor, uh, he lives in Uray and I always send him like the, the best of the best emails I get. And I'm like, would you mind replying to this? Because <laughs> I'm going to need at least two shots of bourbon just to figure this <laughs> out <and> not reply. <laughs> Oh my God. That's funny. Well, yeah. Yeah. We will definitely have you back on and maybe with a couple other, and then we can like, yeah. I want to hear about it too. Yeah. It's been really, really, really fun talking to you today. And, um, I just want to say thanks for coming on, like, you know, scheduling this three times to make it work. It's been been worth it for sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It was fun. We'll have to, um, also Steph, we'll just, um, enter her race one day and then we can all talk about our feedback. We can yeah. send messages to yeah. your yeah. Uh, website. <laughs> so I know yeah. this is the rule, but <laughs> yeah, I should like Google search, like the world's dumbest questions or whatever. I've seen them. I swear. <laughs> yeah, I don't want customer service. But, so. Well, you heard it here. Ashley Nordell says she's going to run the crazy mountain hundred. <laughs> I need to get some climbing legs to, uh, take on your race for sure. Yeah. Get, you get a treadmill. <laughs> I have one, but not as awesome as yours. Mine only goes up uh, to 50 so oh, I mean, well, yeah oh I'm yeah I'm trying to get Steph to hike like big steep ones and she's had to tell me that hers only goes to 10 so we have to adapt it was like it was my mom's that barely got ran on for the last 20 some years and then <laughs> I have been through three treadmills now and they've all like the bases have like cracked because I put so many miles on them so I'm yeah. like I and now but this one, like the belt is like whatever yes. Mine was doing that too. (laughs) And it only works now if I'm at like 4% grade. So I have to run like constantly at 4%. (laughs) We bought ours from our athletic club when they upgraded. And so mine every hour shuts, you know, like our athletic club will have a time limit. So at an hour, mine shuts off and I have to start it up again. And so every, if you do a long run every hour, you're resetting the treadmill. Right. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Mine restarts after... 99 minutes oh my gosh it doesn't have a space for a third digit so then I'll be like I mean and then all of a sudden I'm like (laughs) I've gone I've gone to through three free treadmills and this is the first one I've actually bought for myself so I I splurged only because I knew it was getting cold and this one was going dead and I'm like I need the I need climbing legs this year like that's what I need so I need and then I found one that went to 40 percent grade and I was like okay 
I'm doing it. <laughs> well, I feel like the amount of time between your text of I'm thinking and then I bought it was really yeah. only like five minutes. It <laughs> <laughs> was on have. sale. <laughs> so I knew what you have because I don't, I need, I think I'm going to need a new treadmill. And I told my husband that I was like, there's, there's no way this one's going to last through another season of training. Yeah. They're, I got it on sale. They're freaking expensive. Like it's sad how expensive they are, but it was like the black Friday sale or I guess, no, it was new year's sale or something. Yeah. But the only thing I don't like about it is that you're kind of married to an iFit subscription, which is starting to really make me mad. And they took the ability, they blocked the ability for you to put Netflix or any other apps on the screen. It's capable of it. But if you look in Google and like Google the hacks, they've like figured out how to block you from hacking into it to where you could put another uh, app on there. And then uh, I just, they got rid of the create your own workout function. So you can only say manual and manually shift the, the oh. speed and the incline. They used to have a create your own workout where you could type in your workout and then it would move for you. They yeah. got rid of the function. Like they really want you to subscribe to these iFit like coach workouts um, and that's all they want you to do. And so, but the good thing is you can sign up for monthly subscriptions at a time. So I'm just going to have like three months out of the year where I sign up just to get me through. Cause you can run with people like, yeah. um, I think, uh, or what's his name? The guy that runs for craft that had cancer. Oh, Tommy, Tommy ribs. Yes. I ran with ribs in like Brazil and like somewhere else. And like, just like ran on the trail with him and it like went up and down. It was super cool. But, um, and Sally McRae, I guess has a few of them. I was like, this will be fun, but not worth 30 bucks a month for a year up front. <laughs> yeah. There is a big downfall with it, but it still goes 40%. So right. it'll get you to hard rock, which we'll have to chat about more too. Um, on another one, cause you know, hard rock's a whole other, um, thing to get to connect with you about too. Yeah. yeah. It's just, when I get it. Yes. <laughs> Watching that wait list. I would love to have you on again, if you're willing to come back on and kind of talk about yeah. some stuff. So awesome. Well, thank you. Okay. so much. I appreciate yeah, it. We have more questions. Okay. All right. Okay. Hey guys. Bye. Such a fun conversation with Megan. I really enjoyed like hearing the backside of race directing. And I know that there's way more work that goes into it than like what I actually think, but actually hearing like some of the stuff is so interesting and um, makes you really appreciate all the work that race directors do. Right. When you're in the middle of doing them. Yeah. Well, also I was thinking with Megan, I feel like she is kind of a go big or go home. Like we <laughs> talked about her very first trail race being the Ridge run, which is like almost 20 miles, crazy vert, like up on a Ridge. Like she didn't just go to like a 5k trail or a half marathon. And with race directing, it was like, she went straight into race directing a hundred miler, which I would imagine is so much additional work and then not just a hundred miler but a hundred miler in remote mountains where you need to take a horse to get in your aid stations so I just thought that was so fitting like I think that sort of Megan's style and I love it and it was so fun to hear um all of the little kind of like side stories that go into making these races come together yeah and then you're talking about you know you, the horses going in and like that community that she has too and how it like filters into her race directing and racing like community I just I don't know she was so interesting to talk to and we need to have her back on because we didn't even talk about hard rock um 
And I want to do that idea with like a bunch of race directors on the podcast. Totally. I think that would be so much fun. And I just feel like we could have such a riot of just hearing like, I mean, not only just hearing about the work, but also just hearing the funny backstories, because, you know, for every race that happens, there's so many things behind the scenes that don't go right. But you don't always know, like, you know, we get to just see the great, you know, after effect of a well put on race. But I'm sure there is these moments right before where, um, you know, something happens during the race that you have to pivot and suddenly make changes. And the runners are in that kind of nice ignorance bliss, but yeah. the race director is wearing 50 different hats and trying to put out fires as fast as yeah. they're coming. So we'll have to make that podcast a priority, um, soon. Yes, I agree. Let us know if you want to listen to that. <laughs> but... Right. And other race directors that we should include in this, um, podcast. Yeah. I just, I just listened to the post, um, marathon trials with Des and Kara mm -hmm. and they did it while at a bar. And I just, and it was like all the funny backstories. And I'm like, we should totally do where we all go to like a brewery and talk race directing. And it's going to get funnier and funnier as it goes. <laughs> that would be amazing. We'll make that happen. I wanted, I wanted to do like a retreat or like a camp or something for moms who are ultra runners. I think that would be like, so fun and then having like people come in and like have like a panel and talk of stories and it, you know there's as many funny mom stories you know of just like race director stories yeah yeah maybe i'll have to fly out to oregon or we should do it in hawaii or something <laughs> <laughs> we could just sort of I do... go and call it call it work and yeah then... i know yeah it's a tax write-off a trip to hawaii <laughs> <laughs> anyway um yeah thanks so much Megan for coming on it was so fun to hear your stories and how you got started running um and we're gonna cross our fingers for you for hard rock because yeah. she's right now she's on the wait list um so mm. not that we want other people to be dropping but we hope you get in yeah that would be I know it'd be so hard to like train for something that you're like oh maybe yeah well, yeah. a lot of, I mean, last year at Hard Rock, um, there were people who got in just the day or two before and they, wow. you know, some were there or some lived close enough to come. But when you don't live, you know, in Colorado, mm -hmm. it's hard. How do you, you know, you put all that training into this goal that may or may not happen. Right. Yeah. No, we should definitely have her back on and kind of talk through like the mental aspect of that. Um, For sure. I also want her treadmill. Yes. Well, she was messaging me about, um, ordering it and I think we were having bad weather and she was having bad weather and I don't know if I was like a negative or positive influence but like during the conversation I get the text okay ordered <laughs> <laughs> so. I know I need to get the link because 40 percent incline is insane yeah well and I mean can you imagine a 40 percent grade somewhere in Minnesota no I don't know that one exists there probably not <laughs> no maybe for like <laughs> maybe the backside of like Lutzen. yeah right I was gonna say um, also, did you hear that the Lutzen Lodge burned down? Yes, it's the um, it's the, the restaurant there. Yeah, or did something else just burn down too? No, like just a few days ago this week. Oh no, Lutzen had a restaurant burn down um over the last year that we always ate at right there. So something else burned. The historic Lutzen Lodge burned down. I feel like there's something a little suspicious going on with fires right now up in Lutzen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was like terrible and there like there's nothing left. Oh no, well that's what happened to the restaurant. 
Um, okay. Need to do some research on this. That's yeah. awful. Yeah. Um, so anyway, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Instagram. That's at runhardmomhardpod. Um, go to treelinecoffee.com and get your Run Hard Mom Hard coffee blend um, called You Got This. And you can use code RUNHARD10 for 10% off of that order. Otherwise, we will see you next time. Um, and don't forget that you got this. Bye.